All right, so we're going to be talking about tonight, uh, obviously you can see there on the, on the title, uh, I sent you guys in the group some verses to maybe look over. If you got a chance to look over them, great. If not, it's okay. It just would help some context here. But we're going to be talking about uh, are there few that are saved? And when, we, and when we think about, you know, difficult passages in the Bible, that's what we've been doing in the last... I don't know, four or five Bible studies. We did Matthew 24. We did um, head coverings, modesty, some different things here. Uh, I wanted to, wanted to look at this, at this topic here. And I've been wanting to actually do this for a long time. If you guys remember when we used to have redeeming thoughts a long time ago, this, <laughs> this was the next one. And it never happened. But I don't know. That was a long time ago, brother. I'm not really sure when. <laughs> Some of you are like, what is that? Redeeming thoughts. Yeah, we did a couple of videos. But anyway, so um, I wanted to, wanted to dive into this a little bit. And I'm actually glad I got to study it more in depth. Um, and I think it was well worth the wait. But so I, I do want to just get some thoughts here. Uh, when you hear, few there be that find it, or many are called and few are chosen, that few people are going to be saved. What, what are some initial thoughts there? Maybe as you guys read those passages, or what are some things you think about? That's what the Bible says, right? Okay, yeah, right? So, okay, a few people. What else? What do, you, what do you guys think here? Just initial thoughts of that. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. So, so uh, quantitatively, yeah, a, a small amount of people. Okay, yeah, that's good. That's good. So how, how have you guys understood those passages? I know some of you have been Christians for a while, maybe some that are newer. What are some ways that, you, I mean, ha, have you thought about that before? I mean, it's okay to say no. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, so when you when you think about okay, uh, these are potentially saying that there's going to be a few people saved. You know, does that does that stir your heart at all? I mean, what? Yeah, you're shaking your head. What? I mean. Sure. Okay. Okay. Are you in that few? That's a okay. Yeah. That's good. Okay. Okay, sobering. Okay. Okay. Makes you want to get to self-evaluate yourself, examine yourself. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking like, um, there are few people saved, so you need to go tell as many people as you can so that everyone gets the option. Sure. If they are not. Okay, yep. So, so God created the world good, right? Genesis 1, everything he made was good. And God's, uh, Adam's, Adam's role was to spread God's glory across the face of the earth, right? And, and, and who, who messed that up? Adam, yeah, but, okay, yeah. But there, there was some deception there, right? By who? By Satan, right? So, so, so Satan, Satan kind of comes in, kind of ruins some things. He deceives Eve, that, you know, they sin. And, I mean, at least in my own heart, kind of thinking about this, over a number of years, is really kind of confused, right? How, I mean, why would God allow Satan to have final victory? 
right? God, God made everything good. It's, it's, it, it was His intention to dwell, and is His intention to dwell with His people on earth. And now His, his greatest creation, Satan, comes in and ruins everything, and now God only saves a few people, and, and, and you know, the majority of people are, are damned to hell. I mean, that should, that should kind of stir your heart a little bit. You know, uh, and, and really get you to think a little bit, okay, well, why is that if that's the case? And, you know, uh, I think really tug at the heart a little bit. Um, I mean, is, is Satan really going to have final victory here? Are, are many people, the majority, I mean, I can't really put a number on it, going to be damned because of sin? And God just saves, you know, just, just, just a few people, a, a small amount of people. Um, yeah, so those are those are good thoughts there. Uh, I have the next thing on here, an, an axiom. Do you guys know what an axiom is? What is an, an axiomatic statement? Like, a, like an absolute truth, right, exactly. Uh, uh, a sustained principle, a general truth, something that is true throughout, throughout all of redemptive history. We need, we need to ask this question tonight. Is this an axiom? Few people being saved. Is this a... Is this a, a truth that characterizes all of church, the church age, the history of the world? Few people being saved. Is this what is going uh, uh, to be true? And, and this is, just so you guys know, th this is the main position of most evangelical Protestant churches, uh, besides this, this one that you're in right now. Um, so the, you hear this be preached, you, you turn on a sermon, and you listen to anyone talk about Matthew 7, or Matthew 22, or Luke 13, and every single sermon will be, few people are, will have eternal life. That's, that's how this passage is interpreted. Few people will have eternal life over the course of world history, however long that's going to be. Few people are getting in. And you better make sure you're one of them, right? So kind of like those warnings, right? Uh, so let, let me ask you guys this. What do you know about the Scriptures, right? You've got some prior knowledge here. What do you already know about what the Bible teaches? And think, some of you who have been in this church, sermons that you've heard recently, and I can think of two of them, that, 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 that have addressed this topic to, to, I think, a very thorough degree. So what do we know already about the Bible? So we got these passages kind of hanging over here, right? What else do we know about the Scriptures? Okay, true, yeah, but okay, good. Okay, heard a good sermon on that recently, right? Amen, all right. John 3, 16 and 17, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. That's 16. 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to what? Condemn the world, but through Him, what? Save, the, save who? The few? No, the world, right? To save the world. And Aaron preached on that. That was back at the, at the old church building. Another sermon that, that was preached recently was, was Nick's sermon. God's grandest promise, all right? And do you guys remember where, where that was in the Bible? Kind of an obscure text in an obscure book. Numbers, right? Was it Numbers 15 or 10, brother? All right, 20. Okay, sorry, 20, okay. Yeah, so God's grandest promise. And remember, the, what was the promise? 
that his glory would cover the earth. That, that is tied to his character. That's right. Okay. So we've heard two sermons recently in the church that, that, that on, on one hand we get these passages, which it seems like there's going to be few saved. And that's what the text says. And we're going to look at it, right? And then on the other hand, we get these passages, right? God's going to save the world. God's glory is going to cover the whole earth. And what does that look like? Salvifically, right? People are, are going to be saved. What, what are some other passages you might think of that, that, that speak to this uh, on, on the other hand here? Yeah, 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 yeah. But, uh, yeah, but, but I'm, talking about, I'm talking about passages that speak of maybe great gospel hope. Let me, let me, let me phrase it that way. So we had the John 3.17, uh, Numbers 20, God's grandest promise. What, what are some other passages? The Great Commission. And why is that a hope-filled passage? That's right. So we're called as the church, and we're talking about this at the end. This is, this is really the, the, the application for us here. Go, therefore, and make disciples of a few people. Is that what it says? No, it does not say that. Does it say a few people inside of the nation? No. Brother, what does it say? Of all nations. Of all nations, right? The entire nation. So built in to the Great Commission on this hand over here is the great hope of the gospel that Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth. And that's a fancy saying for saying what? Everything, right? Everything. Now go, therefore, and make disciples of the nation. The, act, the whole disciple, the nation. It's just, it, it, it's, the hope is built right into the Great Commission. So, on, on, so my point over here is, is I'm trying to get you to think here, okay? It seems like we have a difficult passage, right? And that's the point of this. You got over here, few there be that find it. Many are called, few are chosen, right? Fewer, Lord, are there few who are going to be saved? So you got few over here, and then over here you got God's going to save the world, Disciple entire nations, that God's glory is going to cover the face of the whole earth. Okay, you see, you see the tension here, right? We got, to, we we need to figure out a way to uphold both truths. You got few and many. Uh, I, I don't know how they could both be true. Well, I do know. We're going to talk about it. Okay, so um, let's actually have someone go to Matthew seven thirteen and fourteen. Let's let's read these these few passages. Yep. I want to. Let's just wait till everyone gets there. I don't know why I was in. I was in the epistles. <laughs> it's not gonna look good on camera. <laughs> Matthew seven thirteen and fourteen. Go ahead. Okay, there we go. So we got a few right there, the few. 
those who find this narrow gate are few. Is that, a, is that an axiom? Is that, a, is that a, a specific truth here? A principle that is uh, covering all of history. Let's go to Matthew twenty-two fourteen. Go there. Do you want to read that one? Yeah, go ahead. Matthew twenty-two fourteen. It's on your paper too. For many are called, but few are chosen. All right, many are called, few are chosen. All right, that's if you just take that right as it is, without reading anything around it, it would seem that few people are chosen, and we know, uh, you know, being chosen by God is is salvifically. Uh, on one hand, right? So, many are called, few are chosen. All right. So we got few again. Let's go over to Luke 13. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke 13. And I want someone to read, starting in verse 22, and read to verse 30. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I can read the whole thing. 22 to 30. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. And once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. Okay, Jesus is out teaching. He's, he's going through the towns and villages on his way to Jerusalem. And someone asks him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? He doesn't give a direct answer, but it would be implied. Better strive to enter through the narrow door. Right? Okay. So those are three passages there in the New Testament that speak to this. This this few. Now we need to and part of this is saying, okay, we know a couple things to be true over here. We just read these passages. Now how do they how do we how do we wed them together? Okay, what's going on here? Because brethren, listen. This is very practical for you. If you, and I don't want you to believe this, but if you do, and I'm going to try to unconvince you, which I don't, I don't think maybe you are necessarily convinced, but if you believe there's only a few getting saved, th there's just not a lot of hope. There's just not. Few people. That's it. We, we, we got our little church here, and nah, that's probably about it. You know, We'll pray that God saves people, but we can't expect a whole lot because... Only if you are being saved. If few are going to be saved, brethren, then don't come to the Monday night prayer meeting. 
Just stop coming. You pray for God to pour out His Spirit in revival. Why? Few there be that find it. Many are called, few are chosen. So you see, when you start to think about this, it gets very practical in how you live. How, what is your expectation of the gospel, of the kingdom? And listen, theology and doctrine matter, and it will have an effect on the way you think, the way you live. So this is important here. So what I want us to do now is I want us to look at this few concept. Okay, we got few. Now this doesn't just pop up for the first time in the New Testament. Okay, there's a background to this. And what I want to do is look at some of the background in the Old Testament to try to help us shed some light on what is going on in the New Testament when Jesus is, is, is it seems to be warning people, right? He's warning them. Listen, you need to strive to enter through the narrow door. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. Why? Few there be there, find it. That sounds to me like a warning, right? You better make sure you're among the few. This is a warning. So, so I want us to, to, to look at a few verses here. And there's, there's a lot more in the Old Testament, but I think it's going to help us understand a little bit about the context in the whole of Scripture about this few, this warning of a few. You know, if you pick up a, uh, a novel or a story and you come right in, you know, the last third of it and you start, or you, you know, you come into a movie and you start, you know, you come in an hour in, you're just, you're going to hear things, you're going to see things, and it's just not going to make a whole lot of sense. Or you might, you might come to some, some untrue conclusions because you came into the story at the very end. So what we need to do is we need to work back a little bit, okay? And... I think this will, this will help us understand the context of Jesus' warnings to few. And you better strive to enter through the narrow door. So let's first go to Leviticus chapter 26. We're going to go back. Leviticus 26. So in, in Leviticus 26, now sometimes these headings are going to be helpful. I'm going to point them out when they're not helpful. Are they inspired, the little headings there? Is that, is that scripture? No. Okay, let's, let's just lay that out real quick, all right? But sometimes are they helpful? Sometimes, all right? Sometimes they're, they're terrible. But in, in Leviticus 26, you get blessings and curses on the covenant, okay? If Israel, right, this is a book written to Israel, uh, the people there that are in covenant with Yahweh, if they are faithful to the covenant, they will be blessed. And you get those blessings uh, starting in verse 1, uh, running to verse 13. And then you get in verse 13, what does it say there? Punishment for disobedience. Okay? So someone read for us verses 14 through 17. Yeah, 14. Okay, and then go down to verse 21 and read to 22. 
contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins. And I will let loose the wild beasts against you, which shall bereave you of all your children and destroy your livestock and make you few in number, so that your roads shall be deserted. Okay, so you get a little bit of a, you, you get our word there, right? You'll be left few in number. Why? What do you say in verse 1? Disobedience. Did not obey the words of God. Okay? Warning of judgment. If you do this, if you break this covenant, you will be judged and you will be left few in number. You see that? Pretty clear there, right? Okay? Uh, anyone have a cross-reference there on uh, verse number 22? I wanted to do this a little bit because I think it's very helpful. I have Deuteronomy 32, Okay. Okay, anyone got any other ones there? I don't, I don't know that one, so I'm not going to look at it. Is it 22? Yeah. Yep. Yep. 22. Yep. Okay. Let's try Deuteronomy 4. Go to Deuteronomy 4, and then we'll, and then we'll try this again. There's, and like I said, there's a, there's a lot of these. I'm just trying to get you to say the ones that I have written down. <laughs> Deuteronomy 4. <laughs> I didn't look up all of them. I just looked up enough of them, I guess. So Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 25 and 27. What's happening in Deuteronomy? Moses, what's he doing? Yeah, so Moses is teaching, right? So, so Deuteronomy is, is second law. Okay, uh, It's Moses uh, giving and recounting the law to the second generation Israel to go into the promised land. Right? First generation sinned. Okay, this next generation, they're about to go in. Moses is teaching them. Okay, next generation, going into the promised land. This is what you need to know. All right, so look at, uh, let's read verses 25 to 27. When thou shalt, when thou shalt be, beget children and children's children, and ye shall have remained long in the land, and shall corrupt yourselves, and make a graven image, or the likeness of anything, or shall do evil in the sight of the Lord thy, thy God, to provoke him to anger. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day, that ye shall soon utterly perish from off the land, whereunto ye go over Jordan to possess it. Ye shall not prolong your days upon it, but shall utterly be destroyed. 27. And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations, and ye shall... He left few in number among the heathen. Whether reader, the Lord shall lead you. Okay. So there is being left few again. So what's going on here? It's another warning, right? Warning of judgment. Why? Covenant breakers. Idolaters. Not obeying, not obeying God's word. He's warning them. Right? You will be destroyed, and you will be left few in number. The Lord will scatter you. Warning of judgment? Few. Okay? Got a, does anyone have a cross-reference near the phrase, and you will be left few? So that's typically, I should have said that on the first one. What do you got? Anyone? Where else is it pointing us? What did you say? Okay, chapter 28, verse 62. All right, let's go over there. 
And the reason why I'm doing this is because when you do Bible study in your own time, and there's things you're looking for, read your, look at your cross-references, right? Those are very helpful. So they're there for to help you study your Bible. All right? So, yeah, yeah, Deuteronomy 28, 62. So, uh, look at verse 58. If you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions. Right? So another warning of judgment for not doing the words of God. And then someone read 62. Whereas you were as numerous as the stars of heaven, you shall be left few in number, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Okay, another warning, being left few. Few. Why? Okay, yes, right? Because. All right? So he's talking to Israel, warning on Israel. If you, if you don't obey the words of God, you're going to be left few. All right, anyone have a cross-reference there at 62? About around the few area, the few word. Mine has Deuteronomy 110. All right. Well, I don't want to go there, though. <laughs> you know, no, because actually on the, on the other one, I, I had a reference over to Isaiah. So let's go over to Isaiah. Isaiah 24. <laughs> Well, no, I mean, you, it, it probably says something about few over there, too. I just didn't look at all of them. Anyway, I told you, this is all over the place. So you can do your own study later. Isaiah 24. Okay, remember what I said about those headings? All right, what's your heading there? Judgment on the whole earth. All right, so let's read verse 1. Behold, the Lord will empty the earth. Stop. And we got a text note there. Yes. What? Land. All right. So this is where the heading is terrible. All right. This is not judgment on the whole earth. It's a judgment on the land. All right. And there's a big difference there. So verse uh, chapter 24, 1 to 6. Someone read for me. And I need a good reader because whenever you see earth, you need to say land. That's right. All right. Because it... Yeah. We need... Remember, remember, translation is always what, Sergio? Interpretation. That's right. Okay. But we have a good text note that says, or, yep. <laughs> Thanks, Sergio. Right? But, but we have a good text note, like our Bibles are, that's good and right to have, and these are all over the place. All right? Or it, it can be translated land. And it's better land, and I'll tell you why and when we get there. Someone read one to six. I need a good reader. When you see the word earth, say land. languishes and withers. The highest people of the land languish. 
The land lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the land, and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore, the inhabitants of the land are scorched, and few men are left. All right. Good. Now let me ask you a question. Is God going to judge the whole earth because Israel broke the covenant? No. Okay? So that's why I think land is uh, better fits that, 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 that passage there. Okay? They're talk, it's talking about, the, talking about Israel, the Jews, right? Okay? So what's going to happen when they break the covenant? Judgment, right? Desolation. And you're wiped out. And, and we, got our, we got our phrase in there. What do you see at the bottom there? At the end of verse 6. Few, there it is again, right? So, this is again a warning upon judgment for Israel and few people being left. Okay? Let's go to Jeremiah 42. So, these are all warnings, right? This is all what what's Yahweh has been warning for a long time. But guess what happens in Jeremiah 42? Come to find out. Look at, look, at, um, look at chapter 39, okay? So we're in 42, but well, what happens in 39? So, we're, so it's helpful here, the heading, okay? What happens in 39? Jerusalem, okay? Jerusalem's judged. So all, the, all, all of the warnings, brethren, that we just read, Leviticus, uh, Deuteronomy, Isaiah, Isaiah's writing... Uh, is again warnings are, warnings are coming okay and then Jeremiah's day this actually happens God does what he says he will do okay Jerusalem's destroyed remember the northern kingdom was already taken captive before first by who you guys remember who took the northern kingdom Assyria right and who took the southern kingdom Judah Yes, that's right. The Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar, right? So, so that's what happens in, in, in chapter 39. Judgment comes upon the people, upon the land. Okay. Now, look at, this is in, in 42. You get all the commanders in the, in, in, uh, of the forces are there, and they come to Jeremiah. And look what they say to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 42 too. And they said to Jeremiah the prophet, let our plea for mercy come before you and pray to Yahweh your God for us, for all this remnant, because we are left with but a few as your eye see us, that the Lord your God may show us the way we should go and the thing that we should do. So what Yahweh warned them actually happened. They were, they were judged. The temple was destroyed. The first time, right? And there were left but a few. Warnings of judgment. Few. And it, and it happened. And there were left but few. And then, uh, Jeremiah, over the next couple of chapters, tells them, listen, don't go down to Egypt. Don't go to Egypt. You stay. You don't go to the Egyptians for help. You stay right here. 
and they would not listen. So look at look at 45, 16. As for the word, uh, so Jeremiah's uh, prophesying to them, speaking the word of Yahweh to them, and, and uh, 44, 16. As for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of Yahweh, we will not listen to you. Okay. They're not going to listen. They're going to go down to Egypt. And then look in verse 28. This is what Jeremiah says to all the people. You see that in verse 24. Jeremiah said to all the people. And then just go down to verse 28. And those who escape the sword shall return from the land of Egypt to the land of... Or from... Jeez. And, and those who escape the sword shall return from the land of Egypt to the land of Judah few in number. And all the remnant of Judah who came to the land of Egypt to live shall know whose word will stand, mine or theirs. So he's saying there's going to be a remnant. There's a remnant there that's going to be saved. They're going to come back. They're going to live. God's going to spare. He's going to save. He is going to save. He's going to destroy all of them. He's faithful to the promises. But they're, but they're going to come back few. Few. Now listen. I've been asking the same questions over and over and over again. We just looked at, I don't know, four or five passages, whatever. What, what are we seeing here? Okay, few. Yes, what else? Okay, to Israel. Right. We got a pattern. We got disobedience and judgment. We got few. Right. So you guys see what I'm trying to lay out here for us is that this is this is nothing new. Okay. Yahweh warns the people: if you do not listen to my words and do them, you will be judged. And you will be left but few. Okay? Um, yes. Uh, unfaithfulness, breaking the covenant, uh, not doing the word, sin, right? All, all of these things. All, all, of these, uh, all of these reasons why that Israel is judged here. Um, Now, I want you to see something now, okay? In the New Testament, you get this concept of the remnant, right? So, in one of those passages, it was sort of interchangeable. It was a Jeremiah 42, 2 verse, right? We're left but a remnant, and we're few, okay? So, it seems to me that the remnant is interchangeable with the few, okay? They're left but a remnant. Now, Paul, I think, picks this up in the New Testament, and he's talking about Israel and what's going on with Israel, so go, go to uh, Romans 9. Romans 9. Someone read uh, verse 27. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, Keep going, brother, to, to, to 29, sorry, through 29. Okay, so who's, the, who's he talking about, about this remnant? Yes, right, Israel, okay? 
So go, go to 11, chapter 11, verse 5. And there's a lot of things going on here. And, you know, Paul says in verse 1, I asked then, has God rejected his people? Well, no, by no means. And then, and then he says this, I'm an Israelite. I'm a descendant of Abraham. And I'm a Christian. God has saved me, right? And then, he go, and then, and then go down to... Uh, or let, let's just read it. Second half of verse 2. Do you not know that what the Scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? And what does Elijah say? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left. And they seek my life. And Paul says, well, what is God's reply to him? I've kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to, to Baal. So too, Paul concludes, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if it is by grace, it is no longer a basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So, so, so he's, he's saying, in the present day, what's going on with Israel? Well, they're not believing. Did, did, did God reject his people? No. No, there was a remnant there to be saved. Just like what happened with Elijah. Remember, that story with Elijah. Elijah thought he was the only Christian left, right? The only faithful man of Yahweh and all of Israel who hadn't bowed the knee, Right? And is he the only one? No. How many are there? 7,000? Brethren, that's, that's a few. That's a remnant, right? Chosen by grace. So these are the only two places in the New Testament where you have the, 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 the remnant idea, and both of them are tied to Israel. Brethren, does the Bible speak about a remnant of Gentiles being saved? No, it doesn't. Okay? It doesn't. And we're going to look at some passages that talk about that. Um, and so, what? Before we get into the end of the New Testament, I do want us to just to to try to soak that in. That's probably, and it, it probably certainly is, new for almost everyone in this room. Okay, a new a new. Maybe you never heard that before, but I think if we, I think we miss a lot in the New Testament because we don't have an Old Testament background. We just miss it. We miss it completely. Brother, we just read, I don't know, five, six verses at least, and there's probably more. Some of you guys are giving me references. We didn't go look at them, but you can go look at them at home. You can check them out and see. Or you can get it out of concordance and, 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 and look up passages. But it seems that in the Old Testament, there is a pattern. Okay, There's a pattern. It is a warning of judgment for not obeying God's word, and then, and that, and then the 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 punishment, among other things, is few. There's few, okay, and then you actually get it, and, and, and it happens in Jeremiah 42, and they're left and they're left but a few, and then Paul saying here in the New Testament that this remnant, God didn't reject his people, he has saved the remnant, just like he always saved the remnant. There was always a remnant chosen by grace. There was always an Israel inside Israel. Not all Israel's Israel, Paul says, right? There's, there's always been a remnant. Always been a faithful, small Israel, church inside, the, inside of Israel that God has saved. Always been like that. Always. It seems, at least to me, I'm pretty convinced of that. 
um, just by looking at what we're, you know, what, what we've been dealing with. Um, so h- how does this help us understand, do we think, uh, what we're going to look at in the New Testament? So we're going to look at some New Testament verses now. H- how does this background help us, do we think, understand those few passages in the New Testament? Okay, great. Okay, emphasis Evans emphasis on the audience. Yes, good. Okay, does anyone else have anything else? You don't have to share if you don't want. Just how how does what we just looked at in the Old Testament help us to understand what's going on in the New Testament with those with those three passages, right? Few there be there find it. Many are called, few are chosen. Lord, are there going to be few? So Nick pointed out something really good, and maybe we'll just end on that. Who Jesus is talking to is very important. The context, okay? I think, I think just a side note, when, we are, when we're studying our Bibles and we're reading passages, we, just, we, we need to understand context. It's, it's really important, okay? And then, and, and then, and then we, can make, we can make application, but, 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 there, but there's just a context in the Bible that I think we often just miss, because we're just, I don't know, we're just kind of coming to the story right there as is, and we're not really paying attention to what's going on, right? So I, I, I just want you guys to, to, to kind of see that as we move into the New Testament. Now, New Testament, what are we going to see here? Well, we're going to see warnings. Warnings after warning after warning to the Jewish leaders specifically and the nation as a whole. Remember, when Jesus comes on the scene here in the Gospels, who, who's he going to first? The, yes, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, right? He comes in, and he's going right to Israel. Now, and what's good is in Matthew, you get a little bit of a, of a foreshadow that, that, that the Gentiles are going to be included. And you kind of get these little sprinkles throughout uh, the Gospels, right? And then you get at the end of the Matthew's Gospel, you get the Great Commission, right? Okay, now, go get the nations, right? But it's important, Jew first, also the Greek, right? So... Jesus comes first to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's who he sends out his disciples to. Remember in, in, maybe in, in Matthew 10, okay? he says, don't go to the nations, don't go to the Gentiles. We'll, we'll get to them later. But first, we need to go to, the, to Israel. We need to go to them first. Okay. Um, all right, so go to Matthew 1.1. Let's just, let's just look at a couple things uh, before, we, before we jump into these passages here. Matthew 1.1. Brethren, I, I want to encourage you the best you can. Read slowly and thoughtfully through the genealogies, okay? All right? They're there for a reason. They're important. All right? But we're just going to look at the first verse here. Matthew 1.1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Stop. Why is that important? What, son of David. What does that mean? He's the son of David. Okay, what was it? Okay, uh, king. king. Yes, yeah, yes, true. He's yeah, he's the king, right? He's the son of David. He's the king. He's the one who's going to fulfill Second uh, Second Samuel seven, right? The king is here. David's son, the king. David promised there'd be a king that his kingdom would endure forever, forever, right? And here he is, right here. He is the son of David. 
All right. The king is here. He's the rightful heir of the kingdom. And what about son of Abraham? That's, that, that's important, too. He's the son of Abraham. He's the seed of Abraham. Abraham, what do we know about him? Yes, right? Do you remember where that's at? Bonus question. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well done. Okay. Yeah, and we're not going to turn there, but Genesis 3, right? We, we, we begin to get the promises to Abraham. And, and, and Yahweh tells Abraham, Abraham, it's through your seed that all the nations, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All of them. It's a pretty big promise, right? Abraham, your descendants are going to be as numerable as the, the stars in the sky. Now listen, when you go outside and you don't live in Las Vegas and you look outside up, up in the sky, are there a few stars in the sky? No, there's not. Okay, you got to get out. You got to maybe go back to Boulder City or something. I don't know, to see some stars or just go north. Okay, brother, there's a lot of stars out there, right? All right. There's a, there's a lot, like an innumerable amount. Your children would be like the sand on the seashore. Is that, what's that? Yeah, that's right. That's a multitude that is a lot, right? Okay. But he's the seed of, he's the son of Abraham. He's, it's through him that all the families of the earth will be blessed. All of them. Through him. Through this seed. Here he is. He's the son of Abraham. And we know that also Paul says that, right? Uh, so the king is here and this Abraham's son is here. He's here. He, he has come on the scene. In the fullness of time, here he is. We waited thousands of years, a couple thousand years, whatever, whatever it was, 4,000 years, I don't know. Okay, And here he is, he's here. And John, uh, we read, goes and prepares his way before him, right? He's here, John the Baptist, you go out and you prepare the way of the Lord to lead his people. Make his paths straight. All right, And that's referenced back to Isaiah about another exodus, another people returning out of exile, making the Lord's path straight, bringing down the mountains, bringing up the valleys, a straight path out. You go read that. You can cross-reference that, and you go read that back in Isaiah. God, God is gonna, God's delivering His people. Okay, Here He comes. Here He is. The time is fulfilled. It's now. And then you get John the Baptist, and he comes on the scene, and what is he doing? Uh, Matthew 3. What's he doing, John the Baptist? Yes, and what's the response? Well, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, it's at hand, therefore. That's right, right? The kingdom is at hand. Therefore, repent, repent, and believe in the gospel. Repent. He says that right there in verse 2. And Aaron talked about this in the Bible study on uh, biblical theology on the kingdom. If wh Why is the kingdom of heaven at hand? Because what? What? I heard, oh, never mind. Because the king's here. The king is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is at arm's length, fingertip length. It's right here. Repent. And repent. Repent. All right. And then what does he say? 
I want to. I, I I really want to try to do some background work here in the context. What what does he start doing now? Verse seven, right? John the Baptist. What's he saying? Who's he see here? Verse seven. Nick. Yep, Pharisees and Sadducees, right? Coming to his baptism. And what does he say to them? You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? And then what does he, what does he tell them? Verse, verse 8. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What does that sound like to you? Judgment. Sounds like a warning. Yeah, 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 judgment too, right? Right? But, but yes, that's a warning of judgment, right? Repent. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't you dare to presume to say, well, we have Abraham as our father. We're good. We're in. We're, we're Israel. We're Jewish. We're good. We are in the kingdom. We are in. We are the chosen people of God. And what does John tell them? Don't you dare presume. God will raise up children for Abraham from these stones. You repent and you believe in this gospel. You believe in this Christ, this Messiah. The kingdom's here, right? And if you're taking notes or whatever, you could actually... I want you to maybe write this down. Isaiah 10 and 11. This has a context too. This is a very specific warning to them. Okay? That Yahweh is going to come down and chop down your house. He's going to chop down the tree. And you read over there in Isaiah 11, and Yahweh says he's going to leave a few trees. Okay? And he did that with Assyria. So that's the context there. Okay? Assyria came in and judged the northern kingdom, right? Isaiah 10. He came with the axe. He started chopping down trees. And it says there in Isaiah 11 that Yahweh will leave a few trees. All right. And then he says in uh, chapter 11 that he's going to plant from, this, from these trees that are chopped down, a little sprig's going to come out, right? A little branch. That's the Messiah. Okay. He's going to start afresh. All right. Same warning here. It's a warning of judgment. This is not just a cute... Uh, Cool illustration about, oh, wow, yeah, an act with trees. That's, that's kind of scary. Yeah, it chops down. No, that has a context. He's warning them. Just as Assyria chopped down Israel back in Isaiah's day, the warning for you, again, is if you do not repent, the axe is laid at the root of your tree, and Yahweh will come and lop it down and leave you but a few. There's a, there's a, there's a context there. You can go read about that in Isaiah 10 and 11. But he tells them, don't presume. Don't presume. Okay? Warnings. Repent. Warnings. Repent. Okay? Now, let's, let's, let's go uh, into our passages here. Matthew, let's start with Matthew 22. Let's, let's, let's go to the passages now. So we get all that, all that context there. Okay? Jesus is, uh, John the Baptist is warning them. The king, the king has come. The kingdom's here. Repent. The king has come. Repent. That's the call. Repent. So now, when we get to Matthew chapter 22, uh, if you go back to verse 21, okay, I'm sorry, chapter 21, and you look at verse number 23, 
Matthew 21, 23. And when he entered the temple, this is Jesus, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching. Okay, so Jesus is teaching to the leaders of Israel. Right, you see that? Who he's talking to? Okay. And then you get three parables here. Now listen, I'm not going to talk about these very much. If you want to listen to a sermon, you go into the sermon index that uh, Nick spent a lot of time to put together. It's on, it's on the church website. You can go on there, under sermons, sermon index. You go down to Matthew, you click on Matthew, and Aaron preached a sermon on these three parables when we worked through the parables. All right, and you can go back and listen to them. All right, it was a good sermon. But all these parables are connected. Okay, these are all warnings, right, right, right to the right to the, the scribes and the Pharisees, the chief priests and the Pharisees, the rulers of the people. And he says in the first parable, 28 to 33, and I'm gonna go quick here. Uh, two sons, they went out, or there were two sons. A man said to the first one, Son, go and work in the vineyard. And he said, I will not. But afterwards he did go. Okay? The second son said, Yeah, I'll go work in the vineyard. I'll go labor in your vineyard. And he didn't go. And then he tells them, which of the two did the will of the father? They said the first one. Why? Because he actually went out into the vineyard, though originally he said, I'm not doing that. I'm not going out in that vineyard working for you, man. Whatever. I'm doing my own thing. And he actually went out into the vineyard. And then Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, to you, who's the you? Tax collectors and, or, or the, the, the scribes and Pharisees, Truly I say to you, tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. That's a warning to them. You need to repent. Because they said, yeah, I'll go work in the vineyard. But did they go work in the vineyard? No, they did not. All right? That's a warning to them. Second parable. Parable of the tenants. Okay? The master of the house, verse 33, planted a vineyard, put up a fence around it. Okay? Built a tower. And then when the season of fruit came... He sent people into the vineyard to get some of the fruit. And the tenants who were there watching over the vineyard, what do they do to those servants? They beat them and they kill some of them. Okay? And then the, 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 the master says, oh, I'll send my son. They'll respect my son. What do they do to the son? Kill him. Right? And then look at verse 41. They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will come and give him fruit in their season. And, the, and so what they're doing is, is they're condemning themselves. And then Jesus says, have you never heard? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And then he says, therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. And look at what 45 says. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this, his parable, they perceived that he was speaking about them. Bro, this is a warning to these people right here, these leaders of Israel. Yahweh has come to get fruit out of his vineyard. And you're killing the tenants, or you're killing the servants that are coming in for the fruit, and you're going to kill the son. And that kingdom is going to be taken away from you and given to somebody else. Another warning to them. You need to repent. And then chapter 22. It's a bad break here. It's, it's saying, nothing has changed. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. 
Okay, you've got the father giving a wedding feast to the son. And he invited people. And you know what they said? I'm not coming. They say that in, in, in verse 5. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and, and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads. Invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. Bring them in. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? He was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Brethren, this is a warning. Again, write to the religious leaders of this day, write to Israel. The, the call of the gospel goes out. Come in to the banquet. The king has a banquet for his son. Come in. Come to the banquet. And what do they do? No, I'm not going in. No, I got, I got other things to do. And he says, okay, fine. He destroys that city. He says, you know what? Go out to the highways and the hedges and go compel people to come in. You bring them in. Bring whoever you find. Bring them in. That it may be full. And he tells them. He warns them. Many are called, but few are chosen. Repent. A warning to them. Repent. Judgment is coming upon you. You have heart in your heart. Repent. Repent. Those are warnings, brethren. They're warnings. This is not a statement that many are called, but few are chosen for all eternal life. This has nothing to do with a, a general statement about all of the world. He's talking, who's he talking to? He's talking to the chief priests and the elders slash Pharisees. Okay? And he's warning them. Three times he's warning them. Three parables. I encourage you to go listen to Aaron's sermon on that. And, 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 and he'll go in depth there. This is an indictment against Israel. Because the heads of Israel represent the whole of Israel. Right? Okay, we see that in, in, in the scriptures. They're the head. They represent the whole. We talked about that the other day, didn't we? Right? Okay. And what are they doing? Preventing people from coming in? Right? They're blocking up the door. Right? He says that somewhere in the woes. Right? You yourselves are, and I'm paraphrasing, if someone's got a better paraphrase, but you yourselves are, are, are blocking so that other people can't enter. And we got a better paraphrase than that? No? You know I'm talking about that text? I don't know where it's at. Uh, what's that? I don't know. It's somewhere. Somewhere in the scriptures, like the writer of the Hebrew says. <laughs> somewhere around there. But I want, you, I, I want you to see there. That's the warning to them. This is not an axiomatic statement. Oh, only few were chosen. No. There's warning of judgment coming upon you. You better repent. Have any questions there? Or, or, or at all?
in general? Is what I'm saying making sense? Let me, let me just ask that. Are you, are, 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 are you guys following me here? Okay. Now, I'm not going to have time to tie in all of the New Testament passages on the hope of the gospel. But what I will do is go through the next two verses on the few, and then we're going to stop. Okay? But does anyone have any questions at all? Okay? I mean, I think, I think when, you, when you see the framework, it makes sense. But people have said, see, Jesus is over here. Few are chosen. Only going to be a few. Well, you've got to read the Bible. You can't just pull it out of context. You've got to read it. What, he, he's not talking to the church. He's talking to these people. He says it twice, you see. All right, well, if no one has any questions, let's, let's go to Luke 13. Luke chapter 13. Um, so we just read this, starting in verse 22. Uh, let's actually back up a little bit. Someone read 18, 19, and 20. 18 to 21 for me. Okay, and then he goes right into, he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house shuts, has risen and shut the door, you will begin to stand outside and to knock on the door saying, Lord, open us. Then he'll answer you. Do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence. And you taught in our streets. But he will say, I, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Okay, this is very important. What did Jesus just teach before this passage? About the kingdom, right? 18 to 21. What did he just teach on? What is the nature of the kingdom? What is it compared to? Two things. Mustard seed and what? And leaven. Okay? So, how does he... So, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Mustard seed. Okay? Real small, right? Real small. And then what? It grows. And becomes a tree. And the birds of the air make its nest and its branches. Okay? So, the principle there, or the point there, is the kingdom starts very small, very insignificant. Okay? And grows very large. So that the birds of the air come and make a nest. They find refuge in the branches. Okay? That's, that's the, the, the nations. Okay? That's us. All right? And then he compares it to leaven. Now, why is that? So, how is that important? What does leaven do? What does Henry? Henry's not in here. 
Anyone else baked bread in here? Got some bakers. Okay, makes it rise. Yes. Grow, right? It takes a lump of dough. You get a little lump of dough, right? Put a little leaven in there. And what does that leaven do? Makes it rise. What is it, what is it doing? Hmm. Oh, it permeates. That's what I'm looking for, right? It permeates the loaf. It gets in there and it permeates it. And what does it do to that loaf? Makes it rise, but it goes from this thing to this thing. Right? It transforms it. Right? You see the illustration there? You see the, you see the picture? So the gospel, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. It comes in, okay? It's, 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 it starts out unseen. You can't really notice it's there. Just there. And then does it just poof into a loaf? Right? Right? You drop it in there. What do you do? What? Takes time, right? You get, if, if, if you stand there and watch it, you may not ever see it grow. I mean, you, I guess you would if you stood there for a long time, but no one's doing that. What do you do? You leave. Six hours later, you come back, and what happens? The thing is risen, and it's coming out the edges. You know that happened? Has it ever happened to anybody? It's like rising out of the bowl. You use too small of a bowl. No, that's happened to me before. Okay, but it transforms the lump, right? It permeates it. It changes it. So he's teaching about the kingdom, and then you go right into uh, what Jesus says. And then someone says, He's going to the villages, and someone asks him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Now, you could take this question, I think, a couple different ways. First way is this. He either says, he's concerned, right? Lord, will only a few be saved? Only a few? He's kind of, kind of questioning him in light of the smallness of the kingdom, right? So the kingdom starts small, it would make sense that in the beginning, there'd be a few, right? And then as it grows, more. You see what I'm saying? You follow me there? Okay, so that's one way you can take it. You can take it another way, I think. Uh, potentially, I mean, I'm just, this is just potentials. You can take this as, you know, Jesus, only a few are going to be saved, right? Us. Us, Israel, only a few. You read some of the, some of the rabbis and their writings, and they thought if he would be saved, only them. That's it. Nothing else for the Gentiles. Just, just them. Kind of like, like an arrogant, like, yeah, right? Only us, Jesus. Only a few being saved, right? Just us, right here. Just Israel. Maybe take it that way. Or he can potentially be picking up on the motif that I just tried to lay out in the Old Testament. Lord, are only a few going to be saved? In light of what Jesus is doing. He's coming, he's teaching. Warning of judgment. Lord, are, are, are few going to be saved? Kind of seems like maybe this is what's going on here, potentially, right? So I think there's a couple options there. I don't really know. Kind of reading into the text a little bit, but I don't know how he asked it. We, we, don't, we don't know that. He just asked a question, right? Okay. But what does he, what does he tell them? He, 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 he doesn't say yes or no. What does he tell them? Verse 24. Straight to enter at... Right there, right? He warns him. Will there be few who enter in? You better strive to enter through the narrow gate. You better strive. You better enter through the door. And who's the door? Christ, right? Who's the gate? Christ. He is the gate. He is the door to the, sh to the sheepfold, right? So, 
Also, I think it's important, in light of the warnings, look at what he says there. Okay? When this master opens up the door or, 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 or shuts the door, and then what are they going to say? We ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. But he will, he will say to them, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, you workers of evil. Brethren, you know what Jesus is, is, is telling them here? And this warning, I'll tell you right now, comes to us as well. Comes to everybody. This is the warning. Proximity to Jesus means nothing. You hear me there? Proximity to Jesus means nothing. The door is shut. Knock, knock. I, I don't know you. What do you mean you don't know us? We ate in your presence. You came to our house, Lord. You ate with us. We're here. You taught in our streets. We heard you teach in our streets. Now, has Jesus done that here in Las Vegas? No, right? There's a context here. Okay? He's warning them. But I'm going to tell you right now, in, our, in, in today's day, same thing applies here. Proximity to Christ means nothing. Lord, I went to church every week. Lord, took the supper, did these things. I never knew you. I don't know you. Depart from me. You worker of iniquity. You worker of evil. You see? Proc Jesus taught, Lord, we, heard, we, we sat in the sermon. Lord, we were in the crowd when you broke the bread and fed 5,000. We were there. I don't know you. Why? Because you did not enter through the narrow door. You did not come through the narrow door. And they will be cast out. But, look at what he tells them. Verse 28, In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out, and people will come from east and west, from north and south, and recline at table in the kingdom of God, and behold, some are last who are first, and the first last. Brethren, that's, that's us. That's, that, that is you and I. Many people are going to come from the four corners of the earth, north, south, east, and west, going to come into the kingdom and recline at the table, but you will be cast out. Why? Because you did not enter through the narrow door. Now, I want to answer a question here, um, and I'm going to have to actually stop because I can't keep going. Um, I can, but I just, it's been over an hour. This is important. He says, For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Why do you think that is? See, many are trying to enter. They're trying to get in. Many people are trying to get in. He tells them, but, they, but you are not able. Okay, yes. Yes, that's true. Okay, own works. That's a good one. I like that. Okay. They're not coming in through Christ. Okay. Gates closed at that point, potentially. Okay. Not bearing the fruit. Uh, I think you have, yeah, you have a verse on there, right? Somewhere on your on your paper right there, right? Underneath this section. I think I have a question that says that. And it should be right underneath. Is there a reference there? On your notes, no? Why are many people seeking to enter the kingdom and not entering? Is it not there? Oh, what is it? Say it again, Lizzie. Oh, did Lizzie say it? Oh, no. Yeah, what is it? Well, Romans, 9. Romans 9. Okay, turn there real quick. It's important because it seems to say many are trying to enter in and they're not able. What's going on here? 
Go to Romans 9. I think this is important for us. And we're gonna and then we're gonna stop here after after this point. Romans 9, starting in verse 30. Can someone read Romans 9, 30 through 10, 4? Nice and loud. Now remember, stop, sorry, sorry. Remember, sorry, we went, we, we went through this verse a little bit just a minute ago, right? The remnant being saved, okay? Why is, what's going on here? Why is Israel not believing the gospel? Why are they not believing in Christ, right? There's the remnant there, okay? And go ahead, verse 30 through 10.4. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is, a righteousness that is by faith? But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. As if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For, being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Thank you. So why are many trying to enter in and are not able to? You said it, one of them, certainly. Yeah, right? Yeah, they're not pursuing it by faith, but as if it were based on works. Now, listen, I heard another good sermon on this text. All right. Nick preached this when we went through that series on justification by faith alone. Okay. You can go back. Is it on the website, brother? Okay. You can go back and listen to this one as well. Another good sermon. What's it called? I don't know. Just go to Romans and it's in there under Romans. Nick preached it. Uh, I, I don't remember the title. Okay, but, it, but it's on this passage. All right. They're not. Who's not? Israel's not pursuing it by faith. But as if to establish their own righteousness as if it were by works. And what does it say? So, Sergio, you said this. What does it say in, in uh, verse 32 at the end there? They stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written. A rock Behold, I'm laying in Zion, a, stu a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brother, that's Christ. That's Christ. They are not and did not then in that first century believe upon Christ. Jesus says they're trying to enter, but they can't because they're not coming through the door. And the door is Christ. Now listen, let me ask you a question. Is that still true today in terms of a general principle? Brethren, are people trying to establish their own righteousness today? Yeah, yeah you better believe they are, right? Uh, Madeline's friend. Uh, remember, yeah, you know, she, she, she messaged in the group, right? Brethren, just will not come. Sergio has, has talked, or not Sergio, Henry's talked about his other friend. Anyone, that, anyone that, that, that we ever talked to, brethren? 
they, they, they are offended at Christ. He's the door. You've got to come through the door. You've got to come through Christ. There's no other way. Oh, trust me, people don't want to go to hell, church. They don't want to go to hell. They want to get into the kingdom, but they don't want to get in through the narrow door. They want to establish their own righteousness as if it was based on works. These, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And being ignorant of the righteousness of God, they seek to establish their own. They got to come through Christ. And many of them were trying to get in. Every Jew was, of course. But they were not able. And the same thing today, brethren. When we're out in the community, there's one way to get into this kingdom. And it's through Christ. Not, not through establishing your own righteousness. Not as if it was based on works. But it is by faith. Period. Period. Um.